another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir and a really special guest today, a person that I've known since I started coaching, a fellow Jerseyite, the great Bob Hurley. Bob, welcome. Thank you so much, Brendan. You know, I remember uh, when I got into coaching at the ripe old age of 21, working for our friend Dick Vitale at the University of Detroit. And I remember going into your apartment in Jersey City and, and Bobby was literally a baby and we were talking and I didn't know what the hell I was doing recruiting or anything like that so I, I was I was talking to you about you know players in Jersey City I've been on the job a month and and literally at one point the doorbell rang and I ended up holding Bobby for like about two minutes and luckily <laughs> didn't drop him in him and so people say, yeah, do you know Bob? And I said, Bob and Bobby, yes, it's a baby, you know. And and, and it's and I think that I, I think that's so special about coaching and, and really about your career. It's really been about other people. It's not never been about yourself, you know. And I think that's that's kind of the journey that I'm trying to be on right now of just how many people that we can help in our profession. And I think this is what your career has always been about. It's about about the kids, right? Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I uh, at that time, I was now, I guess, into high school coaching a couple of years. Yes. And there were no, absolutely no aspiration other than I had to pay the bills. So Mrs. Hurley would say, "I'm okay," and then she'd let me coach. So wow. whether it was whatever it was, working at St. Paul's grammar school team or running mm-hmm. a, a, a camp during the summer where you were a speaker, all the stuff that was going on that I was doing was just uh, needed to pay bills, and then I was going to allow to continue to coach. And it was something that I always wanted to do, and I just had to I had to figure out a way how I could uh, be a coach and be able to pay bills because I had uh, a couple of, you know, you had you you had Dan, you had you had Bobby in your arms. Yeah. And he was uh, 18 months later, Danny came into the world, and now uh, – I had, you know, double the responsibilities, but, uh, you know, always, you know, and I still do, I still love going to the gym. You know, we'll have a, the gym open this afternoon, and then we have two summer league games, and still totally enjoy being around it, love to see kids, like, working on it, getting better, uh, love working with the kid who's the late bloomer, who nobody has spoiled, who at the end of it, they look back at the coaches and they thank the coaches because they know they, you know, success came late for them. You know, you were back then, you know, you also then took on that uh, highly coveted position as probation officer in the great, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite towns of Jersey City. And, and, and talk about how that really, in a way, is really appropriate in coaching because, you know, it's again, you're not trying to. You're not arresting people. You're trying to help people. Yeah, you know the the you know, the way you know people always say like you you go to college and you you major in something and uh, it might not be the way uh, it's going to play out or you might change your major or you just have to be flexible. So I started as a uh, a substitute teacher in Jersey City school system trying to get a contract, and I was just in a you know it was just brutal. I was breaking up fights and cut slips and everything under the sun because the substitute teacher is just uh, a target. So after a couple of months, I said to my dad, uh, i got to get out of this. This is I'm going to wind up punching somebody here, and I'll never have a job. So my father said to her some temporary positions. up. He was a, a Jersey City police officer, and he worked yeah. in municipal court, and he said there were some positions up in the probation department. And I kind of knew what probation was because 
some of the guys in the neighborhood already knew intimately what you know probation was, so I had some idea. And then I went in, and you know, I got a I got a position as a temporary probation officer, and I immediately worked with adults, and I worked with adults in the neighborhood I grew up in, and that became like uh, 30 years of of uh, talking to people who made mistakes very early in life. Never were really bad guys; they were just guys that. Uh, started like not treating school seriously, started hanging around with the wrong people. And then that made it a little bit easier to understand what the kids in high school were doing. Because on my own life experience, I wasn't going to be able to figure out what guys were doing in the inner city. Because even though I grew up in the city, I grew up with the benefits of an, you know, household and intact and education mm-hmm. was a priority. All the things that made it different than perhaps some of the kids I was ultimately going to coach. So it was, it was tremendous preparation. And the stories I would tell them about the guy who would be sentenced on a Friday and he would come in and family would be sitting there and he'd be leaving for a significant sentences because he just couldn't, you know, make good decisions. And then you, you start to work with kids on, you know, a series of good decisions can put you in good place, but one bad one along the way can, you know, completely knock you off course. You know, one of the things I often say when I speak at clinics, Bob, is I tell them, you know, in 42, 43 years of coaching, I've never coached basketball. I've only coached people. And really, in essence, that's what you were doing with, as a probation person. You were, you were coaching people of how to help themselves in their lives. And yeah, I think that's, that, that's, you know, that's the essence of what, you know, you do as a coach, I think. You know, my, my dad, well, my dad was a court clerk in Jersey City as a, as a police officer. And over the time that I was a probationer, so a bunch of guys would come in and say to me that my father had helped them when they needed a lawyer or advice about something when they were in court. And then, uh, and I said to myself, well, if I could just, every time somebody asks for help, try to give them some help. The older you get, the more help you can give because you're more experienced. When I was mm-hmm. a young guy starting off, you know, you're enthusiastic, but you just don't have enough life experience to give people good advice. And then as time goes on, you wind up with the you know, the experience of age that when you tell people something, it's usually from situations you know about or even situations you're in with people you know, and you try to help them because, you know, just the coach number 11 is not what this is about. It's knowing who number 11 is and doing whatever you can to give number 11 the best chance, you know, at a happy, productive life. What was it like coaching your two sons? Uh, I guess I guess interesting would be a, uh, <laughs> a way to uh, initially describe it. I think, uh, I think uh, Bobby coming into high school, first one, being tiny. But, you know, Bobby's a freshman. I think was like five foot four and like mm-hmm. 110 pounds. So when we uh, eventually started using him, we were using a basketball intellect that he had developed just by the osmosis of growing up in a coach's, sure. uh, you know, coach's house. And then when he hit the floor, he had, even as a freshman, he had a calming influence on the guys around him that he just was calm and he would make the right play and up to the points where physically couldn't do things, he did an awful lot of things. So the kids welcomed him because he was he was a comforting uh he was comforting to them and he also could pass. And I think uh that gave him uh, an in with the guys because he gave the ball up willingly. And then Danny, you know, kind of Danny was Danny's uh, uh, travel with me was a lot easier because the mistakes were made with the first one about how you're supposed mm-hmm. to do this. By the time Danny came around to play two years later, 
it was a lot uh, easier to coach uh, to coach Danny. And the teams that they were on, as much as the two of them would complain about uh, how difficult I was, you know, when they played for me, we won six straight state championships. So these are clowns wow. when they when they talk about how demanding. They mustn't have looked like everybody else was not looking at them saying, gee, I don't want to be them. A lot of times the other guys didn't want to be themselves because, you know, you want to, at the end of it, I don't want to get anybody to ever say to me, Brendan, gee, I, if only you had pushed me more, I could have been better than I was. And I just say, well, it's not going to happen. You tell me you love playing, at the end of it, I'll push you into the end of it, and then uh, we'll look back and laugh later on in life. But we'll never have the relationship where we're buddies, and then you look back and say, gee, uh, I could have been better, but I just I, I didn't work as hard because Coach was too nice a guy. That hasn't happened yet in 40-plus 40, you know, 40 years. No one's accused yeah. me yet of being too nice a guy. <laughs> Soft is not in your uh, middle no, initial. No. The, no. So uh, as as much as you, you know, and I think one of the key things in watching your teams over the years is that, you know, you truly epitomize, you know, even though you're a very demanding coach, you totally love your players. You're totally invested in their, not, not just their basketball lives, but they're, more importantly, they're off there. And what would you say are some keys if you were to talk to, and you're going to talk to right now, you're talking to 7,500,000 coaches around the country world that are listening. How, what are some keys that if you were trying to influence a coach, frankly, I don't care if it's high school, college, or pro, it's the same thing. What are some things that have helped you? Yeah, I, I think I learned along the way that, uh, uh, you know, some of the most successful people in the world are ordinary people with extraordinary desire to be successful. And, and that being said, also, don't be seduced by the individual talent of a player if he just likes it and doesn't love it. So I think in, in finding out who turn out to be the best players, most of the time our best players were guys that just loved to be in the gym. They weren't complicated. Uh, they, they, they were good listeners. And when you gave them things to do, you know, the expression about there's not, there isn't a bad day. Uh, you know, I'd rather uh, have a bad day uh, fishing than a good day at work. Uh, there's no bad days when you go out and you work on your game. You know, if a kid doesn't want to take his ball out and work and get better at something, then he's probably already, you know, peaking regardless of how talented he is. And the, uh, I think we, I think the most, the best relationships you have in coaching are with the guys that love the sport and will put in the extra time. And at the end of every game they play, they grind out whatever their statistics are. And you can almost always plug in what you're going to get from them. And some of the kids with the enormous potential just that's never realized can drive you crazy because you see the great game, but then there's too many other games when they don't uh, they don't reach their potential. So I am way more comfortable with the grinded out team filled with kids that are uh, uh, you know almost blue collar guys. But the big yeah. one is when you talk to a kid about the sport. And you talk about the playoffs, and I love to talk about the playoffs and just see, or the NCAA tournament, and see what mm -hmm. the reactions the kids have to different things that happen. And when a kid really emotes about something, you know this is a kid that really loves the sport. When another kid is just listening, you say to yourself, boy, that's odd, because who yeah. wouldn't have been watching, like Sunday night, who would not have been watching the uh, seventh game? 
you know, or right. or the NCAA tournament, some of the really amazing games that occur during the tournament. If if kids that are basketball players that say they want to be good at it, if they're not all in in the sport, they're only going to take you a certain uh, distance and they're going to tease you. And you're never going to, you know, in the big games, you never know what you're going to get from them. It's really tough nowadays, uh, you know, and we've gone through a lot of generations of kids, but now these new millennials, this I generation, they call it, uh, where kids were, uh, and I'm not sure, I think even in Jersey City you would have this, even for kids, uh, it doesn't matter, frankly, I think the socioeconomic, but kids that, you know, back in the day, if you or I uh, or our kids messed up in school and the teacher called, we're, go, we're taking the side of the teacher every time. I don't, you know, and, and nowadays, what we see is the coach, the teacher is always wrong, and You're the kid, right. their kid is always right. And I'm sure you have that in your. How do you coach that nowadays? Well, you know, what helped me is that uh, Morgan Wooten put out a, uh, uh, through his basketball camp, he put out a, not a contract, but kind of guidelines, and it's called 14 points to being a key parent. So I got it, studied it, and I said, all right, I'm using this because I can just point to this and say, there's a man that all of us that were high school coaches tried to pattern what we did after uh, Coach Wooten. So uh, I got it. And, you know, one of the things, it starts off, I think the first one is uh, a parent is supposed to say to their child after a game, I really enjoyed watching you play today, and end it right there. Now, they don't do that, but that's the (laughs) advice you give. And the one that's most important, I think, for high school is that the coach will sit down and have conversations with the player about his role what he needs to do, how can be how he can have a bigger role on the team, how can he individually get better. And the player has to relate to the family what the coach said. And then the, the kid becomes the conduit between the parent and the coach, and the coach doesn't have these uh, interminable uh, meetings with parents over the child's careers. The kid becomes responsible for his own career. And what happens, and it's it's happening a lot, way more than I would have ever thought. I have kids transfer out of school now that I've never had a conversation with the parent about the child transferring. And I would say, Brendan, that's probably pretty good. Because I know when we end it, when I've ended it with the kids, we've had numerous conversations. Assistant coaches will constantly be, uh, you know, constantly talking to the kids about things they need to get better. And we say to them, you know, and, and sit down and go home and sit down and talk with them. I've had parents come up to me and say, you know, I'd like to talk to you about John's career. And I'll say to them, well, go back and look at the Morgan Wooten thing. And they'll say, oh, that's the way it's going to be. So I said, absolutely. I said, I'd love to be, that I can utilize someone who is successful as Coach Wooten right now and make that the way I try to steer things. And then they read it, and invariably either the kid is gone shortly thereafter or I just deal with the kid after that. And, you know, I didn't know until probably six months ago. I didn't understand what the helicopter parent actually was. And somebody explained yeah. it to me. Because I've been fortunate to utilize coaches' uh, guidelines here, which has kind of kept me out of it. But I do know that they transfer in and out of high schools now at an alarming rate. Nobody, you know, nobody battles a problem. 
And, you know, that thing again about, like, what's a bad day in basketball? Like, you had a bad day. So, you know, in the old days, if I'm in Jersey City, I finish a bad high school practice. I drop my stuff off in the house. I have something to eat, and I go to the rec gym. And I'm up in the rec gym at night playing for the fun of playing, watching my friends play in, like, a rec league game at night, and being where I want to be around basketball. And then the next day you come back, and you feel like you revitalize because you know how much the sport means to you. Boy, that is powerful stuff. I, you have two. Did you know that your two sons would get into the family business? Absolutely not. Yeah. Particularly, you know, Brenda. Particularly because they kept saying to me how how demanding I was, and they knew I always worked. I always worked a second job. I worked in uh, as probation officer, and I always worked for the recreation department, and I ran a gym someplace in the city at (laughs) night to supplement income. And, uh, you know, we wanted, you want more for your children, so I didn't want them to have to, uh, uh, work two jobs, be high school, you know, be just a high school coach. But, uh, no idea that it was going to turn out that way for either one. I think Danny maybe seemed to be steered a little bit more towards doing it than Bobby, because when Bobby played, there's very few guys become pro, uh, uh, pro players and then drift all the way back to the college. Yeah. Most of the time, those guys wind up going into, you know, all kinds of other things, and, and don't, exactly. they don't circle back to it. You know, and, and, and with you not having been a college coach, for them to go to that position, well, Danny, of course, was a really successful high school coach first, but so he paid his dues and stuff. But then to go to college, which is totally a different sport, high school coaching, I think, is pretty pure. Uh, yeah. The college game is rough, yeah. and the pro game is just another, you know, animal kind of thing. But... Uh, then to see them do so well, to really adapt it, and they're both in there crushing it, uh, it's gotta make you both very, very proud to watch. Yeah, you know, the, it, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I, I always felt that their, like, understanding of, of playing was enhanced by the position they played. They both played the point. And then mm-hmm. they were around it, you know, again, the osmosis of growing up in a household where, like, everyone that's been on television has been in and out of the house talking about basketball and recruiting kids from the school, uh, us having the coaching meetings in the house where like four or five gets to, four or five guys get together at the dining room table and we have mm-hmm. all the notes out and then all the videos that became available mm-hmm. and they're like sitting there as young kids watching the video. You know, the first one was UB Brown, 1984, yeah. uh, with David Rivers and Kenny Wilson and, uh, Andy D'Ambrosio. And UB made it at Manhattan College and sent me a copy, and it was on all the time. I was almost learning to memorize like everything that UB said about every fundamental in a video, and that was the way they grew up. So, you know, back in the recesses of their brains, I'm sure they had all of this information stored that could come out at times. But I just think playing the position, you know, playing the points like being a quarterback in football, I just think it yeah. gives you a better feel for like what everybody's supposed to be doing. You know, having played for UB at Fairlawn High School, and you know, having that amazing gift, you know, yep. you know, only unfortunately having him for one year, but he he's been so influential through my whole career, and then him taking me to the Hawks to start my NBA career. You know, to be around him and to be around Mike Fratello, another Jersey guy, all the time. Uh, you know, it was like I went in there. I didn't know a damn thing about coaching about the MBA, anything. And it was like sitting there and I'm getting my doctorate with, yes, with these absolutely. guys just, and I'm like a sponge. I don't know. 
I don't even for a year and a half I didn't even know what the hell rules were in the NBA and and, and there's only <laughs> me and Fratello on the bench and and and, 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 and Bob and I was also the, in charge of college scouting for the draft so we had I was the only scout but I had to do advanced scouting because we didn't have advanced scouts back then and so there were it was just the three of us and what happened is I had to learn so fast because and do everything. And it just made everything go so oh, yeah. quicker for me. <laughs> but I learned to do the job, you know. And, and, yeah. and that, kids nowadays, if you ask them to do that, they'd be filing grievances against them. Absolutely. You know? Well, I, I remember, like, the first the first summer, Brendan, working up at Five Star was the summer of 74. <laughs> yeah. And I worked yes. I worked a week, and I went up on the bus with the kids from New York City, got off the <laughs> bus, from went in my room. Yeah, exactly. I emptied my stuff into a room, went out there, and I looked, and I said to myself, I didn't realize how little I knew. When I heard everybody start talking, I just walked around. I said to myself, this is humbling. I, uh, I, I know how to, like, on the, uh, the uh, you know, rudimentary level of basketball, I could get a group of guys together and play like a, maybe like a, a summer league team of guys that grew up yeah. together. But the technical part of it, the teaching of the sport, I had no idea. And the summers there and the opportunities to just have those the discussions with guys over the sport to this day still is like, uh, uh, you know, the where we are now and where we were, it is amazing that the sport has gone from there to here. But I don't know that it's necessarily always in a better place now. No, it's definitely not. And, and so as with all my positions through the year, I get literally hundreds and sometimes even thousands of letters from or emails now from young people saying, I really want to be a coach. I want to coach in the NBA, of course. Why start out early? I want to coach in college. I want to do the, you know, uh, how do I get there? And I said, I started as a waiter, as a counselor at Five Star. I started as a camper at Five Star. I was in the first camp that they ever had when we had 48 kids. And UB brought us there. 48 kids they had the first year. And when I was going into my sophomore year, and I said the speakers that Garth brought in that year were assistant coach, or it was one head coach, Bob Knight, West Point. Right. Assistant coach, Chuck Dickley Duke, UB Brown high school coach, mine, <laughs> George Raveling, George Raveling, assistant coach, oh Villanova. Those oh are the guys that are lecturing at the 48 kids. They're probably saying they're 48 kids. What the heck am I talking to them for? But Absolutely. you know how great a clinician Yubi and George and those yes. and Knight yes. were, and they are teaching like they're doing it in front of ten thousand people, yep. and they are, and that's what the professionalism, the teaching ability of people, and then you know we had the people like uh, the Patinos, who was a contemporary of mine, uh, camper wise, then become coaches, and then they when they would come in and speak, you could see how Yubi had, you know, really almost said this is the bar. And yes. all these guys, yes. and, and so all the people there, the Pete Gillens and all the guys that we had coming through there, they were they were just remarkable teachers. Every one of them, you'd say, boy, he's a great teacher. You wouldn't almost say a coach. You'd say, boy, these guys could all teach. Yep. Now it's like you're a great recruiter, you know, yep. and now when they say about college coaches. So I think that, you know, we learned the game the right way back then. And uh, But I, I remember, though, that, you know, Garf said to me when I was playing at Montclair State, and I'm a, I'm a counselor there, and he says, right. uh, you're coaching in the NBA league. I'm a college 
kid. I'm going to tell him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and you're teaching a station up there for the NBA. And that's how I became a good coach because I had to yeah. teach and coach kids at an age where I don't, I don't think you can duplicate that now. Do you? No, no. I, yeah. I, mean, I can remember doing a station, having a station. Mm-hmm. I think my first station, 74, might have been like defensive stance or doing something with <laughs> defense. And the whole time I kept like looking around, watching and hearing voices everywhere. The, uh, the projection of voices, how, how passionate guys were. And I was looking around and it made me try to get out of my own personality and be more confident in what I was doing, even though at that point I don't really know that I knew what I was doing other than some very basic things, but just being around them. You know, Hubie's, uh, you know, Hubie's speech in the afternoon when the camp would get together, coming out and getting kids out, and the attentiveness that the best players at the camp had for everything that was going on was nothing like today. A kid today is so spoiled by people telling him how good he is that he wouldn't work at stations. The kids would always be, uh, kids now would be, take a day or two off. They would have ice on their knee or whatever. <laughs> In those days, no matter who it was, Moses Malone, you know, yep. uh, Michael Corrin, anybody who was yeah. at camp, they, people were going to watch them during stations and they were performing all the time to try to convince coaches to like them, which is different yeah. now. Now, you, now the, the coaches are trying to convince the kid to like them. Yeah, totally different. What a great point. What a great point. What's the, what, what is for you right now, you know, 27 state championships at least, maybe more by now. But, I mean, what, what, what makes you want to what, – what's the why, Bob, of why you're still coaching? Uh, I, I guess it's, it's I, you know what I really love? Continuing to try to teach the game. And then, like, as everything is coming into the game, trying to uh, stay current with the way the sport's going. So, uh, you know, now, particularly with this, the whole uh, American game starting to change towards the way the European game has been played for so long yeah. with uh, an emphasis on skill level and shooting ability and spacing and uh, you know mm-hmm. ball movement. It's fun to do it because when the ball moves, it is, uh, it's like ballet, and which mm-hmm. is the opposite of, of a game where it becomes a game of isolation or, uh, everything, or everything going from a ball screen. And everybody just yes. playing stationary off the read one guy has. Just I think being able to do that, you know, I, I think everybody wants to be able to take different ingredients and, and keep taking the new ingredients and see what you can do with that to make that uh, viable. You know, so I I love just like we graduated just about everybody. So this summer is actually fun because we're trying to like set a standard, but we're not really sure what the standard is right now because we have so many kids. Like, we went up to the Poconos last weekend, and we spent uh, two days in a team camp, and we played a bunch of games, and we had, like, six of the nine kids we were using were just up from the JV. And they were, wow. like, overwhelmed. Yeah, they were overwhelmed by the, the difference from JV to varsity level and the physical difference and the sophistication. And so we get back to the city and we start playing some of these, uh, you know, home games uh, in Jersey City, and we're, we're a little bit better ready because uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And we look like yep. we were, you know, going to take a standing eight count, but we survived the weekend and came home. 
You know, and I think, you know, one of the things right now, and I, and again, I'm not trying to at all equate myself to you. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm in well, well, what we've we done. Are, 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 our years are we're, parallel. We're, are, are we're exactly the same. Yeah, I think we're, you know, the same <laughs> years. Because, but one of the things that kind of grabbed me uh, se- several years ago is I got onto this, I call it a path of mastery, and that I found out there's so much more I don't know. And so I'm kind of on this journey to keep learning and keep growing, as you talk about. I want to know and be able to teach the latest trends. And uh, this year, uh, I really worked for a nice fellow, a good guy, good coach, Johnny Jones at LSU. And, oh, yeah, and, yes. And, yep. and a really good man. And, and so, uh, you know, when I had this incredible kid last August when I joined here, Ben Simmons, you know, who went one last night. Yep. And he's a phenom. I mean, he's just a once-in-a-generation guy, you know, okay? But when I had that opportunity to come and work here, I said, you know what? I've had Isaiah, I've had Dumos, I've had Dominique, I've had all the Kenny Anderson, I've had Derek Coleman, I've had a bunch of kids. This would be fun. So I literally come here for fun, to entertain myself, okay? Because I knew this could be the ultimate teaching thing for me. That And he was... The kid wants to be coached so bad, right? So it, so it was great. So before the season starts, I said to Johnny, I said, listen, I'm going to take off for about a week. He said, where are you going? And I said, I'm, I got to go to Los Angeles, and I want to go spend three or four days with Doc Rivers and Lawrence Frank and Kevin Eason. I want to learn what's the newest thing they're doing in the NBA, and then I want to go to Golden State. I want to work with my friend Steve Kerr, uh, what he's doing. And I might stop back at Oklahoma City and see my brother buddy, yeah, my dear friend, Billy Donovan. Just an incredible guy. And so he says, but you, like, are this incredible coach. I hired you because you're this great coach. You know, what are you doing? I said, Johnny, I don't, I don't even, we got a great responsibility with this kid. I said, I don't know what's the best. I said, I'm never going to get to a finish line. Uh, there's no finish line for learning. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what it's, it's great, and it, just to be able to say to a kid, "This is who I just had a chance to spend time with." They show how sincere you are about it, and how yeah. much you know you're ready to do whatever is current. So Johnny says, "Wow, can I go with you?" <laughs> I said, "Let's go," and and that's what wow. happened. And so wow. uh, that was, but he had never been around that kind of yeah, thing, yeah. like because a lot of the college coaches they. They think if you're going down to learn from someone else, oh, that's a weakness. I can't go to a clinic and see. I can teach at the clinic, but, oh, boy, I better not be sitting in that audience. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's funny because you're absolutely right. They don't. Guys will come in. They don't go. And you know who I did see, uh, the coach of the the Hornets, Steve Clifford. We were together in the clinic. Yeah, he's he's a – he, he spoke at my deal last year, my coaching year event. That Steve, when he wasn't speaking, he's in the audience learning from. Absolutely, he said he, and he never else. left. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. never left. He was there the whole time. Yes, and he's awesome. And but that see, he's old school. He's come up to yeah. the thing. He's a Van yes. kind of guy. And those yes. guys are, you know, and that's that's what we need. And so uh, I feel right now, even though when we won uh, 25, 27 years ago, championships with the business. I feel like almost I shortchanged Isaiah and those because I'm, I'm tw- I know twice as much now <laughs> as yeah. far as and, I, and that, that excites me and I can't. But wait nobody knew, like, Brendan. 
Nobody knew, I don't think, to, to travel around and do this. This is a modern world yeah. where people do this now. It just wasn't yeah. something, you know, you heard somebody at a clinic, and most time practices were kind of closed. People, yes. maybe Bob Knight, maybe Coach Knight, had, he allowed some people to go to practice. Most people, uh, practices were not uh, available for people. And I always say about five-star, my biggest regret at five-star is when I was doing my station, golf should have given everybody one day off. And somebody should have taken over the station, oh, wow. so you could go. You could go that day and hear everybody, uh, see what everybody else did. What an idea! I, yeah, I do that at camp every summer. I have. We'll have the yeah. meeting this coming Sunday, and I'll say to everybody, "You're all going to get one day off, so you can bounce around and see what everybody does at stations." Because that's the way you go. You want to go home having really had a chance to expand, and there's no better time to find stuff is during the uh, you know the station period. You know, so when I started coaching you about eight years ago, my whole purpose back when Kevin Eastman and I started was to help originally college coaches. We didn't think the high school guys, you know, because we were going to do it in a place like Vegas, would be able to come. So we did it for college coaches, and it was amazing. The first year, they all showed. They all showed. And like 200 of them, Kevin and I were amazed, and right, he and I right. did 14 hours. So. I, I said, Kevin, we were just blown away that it happened. And then afterwards, I said, we got a problem. He said, what's the problem? This is great. And I said, I don't know anything else. <laughs> I just my watch. <laughs> and I said, what are we going to do next year? And, and that's when we started to ask our friends uh, if they would help. And, and you know what? We've never had an NBA coach, if he was available, say, I, I won't do it. They all want to share. Yes. And, and 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 that's what I'm so proud about is that they they, they you know because they know they win because they have better players and they have their team executes okay everyone on the other team as you know you know they know what plays you're running but they just you know who's got the better guys and who what so they share exactly. like college coaches yep. think like that we have like you know something from NASA you know or some <laughs> you know that like you know and, and they run the same stuff every year. And they act like no one else knows what they're doing, and you know it's just and I, we get a kick out of it. But I, I just I just love where you come from, uh, and I'm I, I'm so proud of you know just having known you over the years and what you've done for the game. The whole thing so thing had to be incredible for you and the family, huh? Oh yeah, because you know it's like as I said, like if I was happy in 1968, I started coaching the eighth grade team in St. Paul's. Just like you were working, you're working up at, uh, you know, as a counselor at Five Star. Yeah. I'm coaching the eighth grade team because my brother Brian's on the team. And the, and, the, and the coach is a fireman and he can't always get to practice. So I'm playing at freshman year at St. Peter's College and I'm running home because I was living home. I would run home and run a practice. And then if I could, I'd show up for the Saturday morning CYO game. And I was like, organizing them and trying to put some stuff in and I was hooked and if I remained the CYL coach for 25 years at St. Paul's I would have been a happy guy the following year or two somebody says to me John Ryan at St. Anthony says would you take the freshman team uh, next year so I hedged my bet and I I kept the 8th grade team and coached the freshman (laughs) team for a year because I didn't know whether this high school gig was going to be something that I was going to be, you know, I didn't know it was going to last so long. This year is going to be my 50th year. So that shows how well. But it's still love coming. I mean, love going to the gym for practice, 
watching other teams play, you know, looking at the emergence of the game. You know, you you must have had such a good time uh, working with this kid this year because he is such an unselfish player. He just plays for others that he's going to have such an impact with the Sixers because he shares the ball. He's he's somewhat like magic in the way he plays, that he just gets a rebound and can create action and doesn't shoot it because he thinks he can get somebody else a shot every time he has a ball in his hands. He literally got criticized. We played up in uh, the Barclays Center around Thanksgiving. He got criticized. He had 21-20 and 20 one game. And he came down the last play of the game. Marquette missed a shot. We're down one or something. And he and he comes down the court on a break. And literally there's under five seconds. And he's going full speed, which is the fastest player I've ever seen on the yes. court. As yes. Yes. And so he's 6'10", 240. He's coming down the court. And he draws literally four people to him. He whips the ball out for a wide-open three to a teammate. And afterwards, the criticism was he won't take the big shot. Um, ridiculous. Ridiculous. We, we, we LeBron has been the same thing with LeBron. They've said the same yeah. stupid thing about him. When he gives somebody an open shot, you have to trust your teammate's ability to make open shots. And we both love Jay Wright, and we love Villanova, yep. what they did this year. And, and then, But the, here's the difference. Ryan comes down. Archie comes down the last play of the game, hits it to the guy. The guy makes a three. What an unselfish kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same basketball, Absolutely. Same basketball play. Different yeah. result. And, yeah. and, and, that's, and, and so, unfortunately, nowadays, you know, I have no problem coaching the play, but then the media jumps in to assess whether – we literally had people saying that uh, Ben did not uh, progress and and had terrible coaching down here and and then set him back and then but i said to myself he's going one how yes. how much higher could we have gotten him absolutely. Uh, absolutely and when we came in here last summer he was two and three in most of the publications but yet the kid that was one was scal lebessier yep. from kentucky yep. and i love cal but yep. the kid goes 28 so absolutely Absolutely. Cal didn't do a bad job with him. He just wasn't ready to play at this level. Yep. So, yep. Uh, you know, and so those are the tough things nowadays that no one would have said anything about years ago. No one would have even cared. But the pressure on the coaching now with the social media and stuff, um, and I know your sons both have to deal with social media, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> at the collegiate well, you level. Know it's, 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 it's a different world. Yeah, the old, I mean, the philosophy for basketball is when you evaluate a player, does he mm-hmm. make the other players better? Amen. And that's what Ben does because he, he's willingly get other guys' shots. He rebounds. He's a prolific rebounder. He's a great passer. And he's a, he will become, he's a reluctant shooter because he thinks he can get guys' shots all the time. Now, that is a quality that you want to have, particularly at the pro level, where the guys are so, you know, statistic conscious. How many minutes did I play? How many shot attempts did I get? You know, is the ball coming to me, coming at a timeout, all that stuff? You know, it's it's one of these things, but uh, I'm so excited that we got uh, our folks to they can listen to this. It's it's special, Bob. I really appreciate you taking the time. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, because... I've known St. Anthony's for so darn long. I've known it. I've been to the building and stuff. 
but now do I have to? I almost wanted to address you as president. Uh, or yeah. can I still call you coach? Tell, no, I'm, tell me, I, I'm, I, I'm I know coach. You're not, you're not in the Obama phase yet of presidency. No, uh, tell me about, I know you've been on a mission to save the school for years, but how did you finally go to that level? Yeah, well, you know, what what happens now, and it's like schools are closing, schools are closing yeah. everywhere. The small, the business plan for the small Catholic schools really doesn't work. You know, the, mm-hmm. two, yes. two years ago, uh, the uh, uh, the president was the last nun at the school, and she retired. So the position was open. The board of trustees got together and had a meeting. And I, I drove down because my friends were having a meeting down the shore. It was like a Sunday morning. And uh, all of a sudden, I was sitting at the table listening to what they were doing. And my wife, I hear my wife in a conversation telling the people, all right, all right, now you can ask him. He's all set. So they say to me, would you like to become the president of the school? And my wife says, oh. of, course, of, co- of course he would. <laughs> now, we've never had a conversation about this. And then my wife says, and, you know, with the austerity situation here, uh, you can't, uh, there's no salary involved in this. <laughs> and then she said, you know, and because he loves the school so much, we'll also hand back the meager, meager uh, coaching salary. So I go from making, like, I think I was making, like, 9500 to be the basketball coach after 45 years or whatever it was. And now I'm making nothing, and now I'm also responsible for uh, fundraising the deficit, you know, of the tuition versus expenses, which is somewhere around 1.3 or 1.4 million a year. So that's my the new world I'm in. So what's a what's the nerves in a big basketball game? You know, trying to get to the finish line in the school year where you have no endowment. Uh, we we service the poor. We do not have. Uh, uh, you know, we're not like a big school like a Del Barton in New Jersey or a sure. Bergen Catholic or even here St. Peter's Prep. We're an inner city. Uh, you know, we're a bodega. We're not Walmart. We're not Nordstrom's. And so we have to try to figure out how to do things. And they keep saying to me, well, you know, you're the president. Uh, what's your next idea? So I have the pad and pencil next to the – usually it would be pad and pencil next to the uh, my chair where I'm writing out-of-bounds plays during the playoffs. Now I'm still doing that, but i got another pad where I have to come up with fundraising ideas. So if you got any, send them – you know, write them down. Uh, yeah, no, I – Because yeah. it is a uh, – it's, well, it it's, it's been a battle. <laughs> no disrespect, because I've known your bride for too many years, but – I'm not going to hire her as my agent, okay? She's not going to be my agent. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Not good. Yeah, but yeah. This, is what, this is the way uh, you're steered yeah. through life. I'm allowed to be the boss when I'm in the gym. And when I leave yeah. the gym and take the whistle off, that's pretty much uh, that's the end of me uh, being in charge of much. Yeah, no, uh, somehow <laughs> we, got the, we got the same deal, both of us. And, uh, <laughs> I, I agree. But we got great children to attest for. That's our that's our joy. But uh, yep. hey, yep. wow, uh, this has been fantastic. We must do it again. Uh, yes, this I was really, so much really fun. Appreciate. It. Thank you so much, Bob. And uh, okay. best of luck. Have a great, great time. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Great talking. Take care. Thank you.